You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. We're in our final week of the series, uh, What God Wants. Um, And in the process of this series, over the last two weeks, we've been talking about our spiritual journey and the involvement of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual journey, the Holy Spirit identifying those places in our heart that need to be changed, and then uh, we ask the Holy Spirit to help us work those things out. Uh, and as a result, we find ourselves walking in greater spiritual maturity. It's a, it's a growth that leads to spiritual maturity. And we determined that... Uh, uh, one of the best ways to navigate through this process, we're most effective when we're willing to ask a question, and the question is simply this, God, what do you want? Not, oh, God, what do you want? But God, what do you want? What are you requiring of me in this, in this journey that, we're, that, that I'm walking in, in my faith journey? And so we looked, or we've been looking to Micah 6, 8 for answers. I want to read that passage to you again as we launch into the message. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So what we've seen, we, we see that in the same way that we are called to act justly, in the same way that we are called to love mercy, that we are called to walk humbly before our God. Let me say that again. We are called to walk humbly before our God. Uh, the first two weeks we focused on what does it mean to act justly? What does it do to, uh, mean to love mercy? So obviously today, of course, we're going to focus on what does it mean to walk humbly before our God? Uh, let, me, uh, let me ask a question. How many, um, how many walkers do we have in the room? Raise your hand if, you, if you're, a, you're an avid. How many avid walkers? Do we, let me ask you this. How many of you have a Fitbit or some device that you track? Raise your hand up high for you. Okay. How many of you are like 10,000 steps a day? Your goal is meet your 10,000 steps. How many are doing that? Yeah, uh, the hands kind of fell out there. You're trying. You, you, you're trying. So if, if that's you, and I think this would interest all of us, um, uh, I know where I might have found you if you lived in the late 1800s, particularly 1870s and 1880s. Um, in our nation, we, we determined that baseball is our national pastime, Right. Um, but before baseball, long before people were filling stadiums and singing, take me out to the ball game, people were filling large arenas around the nation, and uh, they were actually overcrowding those arenas, and they were uh, watching men and sometimes women involve themselves in a sport called pedestrianism. This is true. I'm not making this up. Pedestrianism, this 1870s, 1880s, and, and what it involved is these men and sometimes women walking competitively around a dirt track, get this, for six days, 144 hours. They would have worn a couple of Fitbits out, right? I mean, these are serious walkers. I mean, they were, they were putting it together. Imagine the crowd, that the crowd would be willing to hang out that long and watch it. I would have, I'm not a walker, so it wouldn't have interested me that much. My wife says, you want to go for a walk? And I go, mm, no. no, I don't think so. And then she goes, and she's got her Fitbit on, and walking. Eventually, the sport died out and uh, it gave way to baseball. But even so that it died out, walking has continued to find great revival even in our culture today. 
Think about it. Wherever you go, wherever you look, you will see people walking. Some people walk for exercise. Some people actually still walk competitively. Did you know that there's, a, there's an Olympic sport? It's called race walking. And that there are people who compete. That's, that's the minority, right? But again, some, some walk for exercise. Some people power walk. Some people stroll for pleasure. And some people, they just walk because they need to get from one place to the other. From the kitchen to the couch. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just, you're just walking because, because you... You have to. Uh, But walking continues to have great um, traction in our culture today. Uh, I'd say this. Walking does a body good. In fact, let me give you seven benefits of walking. Um, Walking will uh, improve your mood. Did you know that? Walking will improve your mood. It's a proven fact. Um, Walking will uh, uh, cause your creative juices to flow. Here's a, here's a great one. Walking will actually make your jeans fit a little looser. That, that's, that's a great one. Walking slashes your risk of chronic disease. Uh, here's another one. Walking will uh, make your legs look better, if you're into that. Um, and then uh, walking will improve your digestive system. And walking will cause your other goals to seem more achievable because simply you've, you've, you've involved yourself. But here's what I noted that you did not come to hear a message on the history or the benefits of walking, right? Where are you going with this? Well, um, there is a point to be made. There is is a connection. Um, If we do a survey through the Bible, we will find that there is great significance, great spiritual significance in walking. Let me give you a few examples. It starts with Genesis chapter 6. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, it says God, you can't get more spiritual than that, right? God walked in the garden. And then you go to Genesis chapter 5, and it says that Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then you go to Genesis chapter 6, and it says Noah walked faithfully with God. Then you go to Genesis chapter 24, and it says Abraham walked faithfully with God. Then if you go to Psalm 84, and this is just a survey. I'm not hitting them all. Psalm 84 says that uh, God withholds no good things to those whose walk is uh, blameless. And then in Proverbs 14, it says that those who fear the Lord, their walk is blameless. Then you go to the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, we read about walking in the light of Jesus Christ. And then we go to uh, 2 John chapter 1, and we read about uh, walking in obedience. And then finally, if you go to 3 John chapter 1, we read about walking in the truth. So clearly, walking has great spiritual significance. And Micah adds to this, because in Micah 6, 8, what does he say? Uh, Act justly. Love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do you see, there's, it, 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 walking is one of the most uh, spiritually significant things that we can do, but I need to tell you more about that, right? Because you're thinking, if I walk, that means, no, let's, let's, let's talk a little bit more. It's, it's important that we understand um, in interpreting what Micah is saying in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, that um, the emphasis isn't completely on being humble. In other words, he's, he's not devaluing humility. In fact, humility must be a, a, a godly characteristic of our, our walk, of our faith journey. But Micah's directive in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he didn't say be humble, but instead he said walk humbly with your God. In other words, he's saying walk with God in such a way 
Your walk is with God. Walk with God in such a way that you come to a greater understanding of who he is and who you're not. When we walk humbly with God, let me say that again, we come to this greater understanding. God, I see who you are, and in light of who you are, I see who I'm not. God, I see how powerful you are, and in light of your power, I see how weak I am. I want to I talk to you a little bit more about walking, and please know on the front side, my goal is not to insult you. I realize that what I'm going to tell you is not rocket science. But I, I just want to define what it means to walk. To walk uh, simply means that um, we, when you walk, it's walking is at moving at a, a regular and a fairly slow pace, lifting one foot. Again, don't be insulted. Lifting one foot in front of the other, never either of your feet leaving the ground at the same time. So this is walking. Don't be insulted, but this is walking. Regular, slow. Somebody said, wow. Slow pace. We're, we're walking. We're, we're moving. Um, again, what I'm talking about is not rocket science, but what, what, there's two things that I, I want us to catch about walking. And it's the fact that when, when we look at what walking is, walking is constant and walking is consistent. Walking is constant and walking is consistent. So in order for us to understand what it means, what it really means to walk humbly with God, we have to understand that walking humbly with God is not so much about an action as it is about a lifestyle. Let me say that again. It's not so much about an action of walking, but it's about a lifestyle. And in this lifestyle, we learn what it means to walk in constant communion and consistent relationship with God. Again, in this lifestyle, we learn what it means to walk in constant communion and consistent lifestyle with God. In other words, in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Micah is actually calling us to relationship. Do you hear that? Micah is calling us to, the, to a relationship. Um, Cammie, could you come help me for a moment? She has no idea of this. I promise I won't embarrass you, though. Um, I, I did not embarrass her. <laughs> Tripping. <laughs> so... Um, not that I am, but in this illustration, I'm going to be God, and she's not going to be God. She's going to be walking with God. So let's, let's do it this way. So in this lifestyle, in this relationship, it means this, that we are constantly, continually walking with God. Here's what it doesn't mean. I don't walk behind God. I don't walk around. I don't walk before. I don't walk over. But we're just walking this. It's constant relationship, just constant relationship, walking with God. It never stops. This is what life looks like. Thank you very, very much. I love you. In this constant, consistent relationship that we have with God, that we enter into God, what we're actually entering into is loving union with God through Jesus Christ. It's a loving union with God through Jesus Christ. There's a passage of Scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. 
And most often we use this passage when we're telling the story of Jesus to someone who's hearing it for the first time. And conceptually it works, it really does. But in reality, uh, it's Jesus speaking in Revelation 3.20 and Jesus is actually speaking to the church. He's speaking to the Laodicean church, so he's speaking to believers. And so we can't say, oh, Revelation 3.20 doesn't apply to me, it applies to the unbeliever, but it applies to us all. And here's what Jesus says, he said... Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and invite me in, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And here's what that verse is talking about. That verse is talking, it's calling the believer into loving relationship with God. Again, it's calling the believer into that constant, consistent walk where we are walking with God, not behind Him, not before Him, not around Him, not over Him, but we're constantly, where we're consistently walking with God. Here's what happens. God invites, God, God knocks And we respond by inviting. And when we invite him in, we're actually making a lifestyle choice. And in that lifestyle choice, what we're saying is, God, I invite you in. The door of my heart is completely open, and it's open to every area of my life. I give you access to every area of my life. And the reason I want you to have access to every area of my life is so that your will can be worked out in every area of my life. And it's what we refer to as the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we could do a whole message on that. But it's allowing Jesus Christ to have complete control. It means that we are giving up control. And we say, come in everything's exposed to you. I'm not holding anything back, and I give you permission to do whatever you need to do. And so that's when the Holy Spirit, with that invitation, the Holy Spirit, we allow the Holy Spirit to work inside, and the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to us things that are dark in our heart, things that are dark in our soul, and then the Holy Spirit empowers us to make the changes. You see, it's in this loving union that we experience growth that leads to spiritual maturity. And that's our ultimate goal. We are in a spiritual journey. When you're in a journey, you have a destination, right? We're going somewhere. In our spiritual journey, we're going somewhere. And we are going towards becoming like the Father by looking and becoming like Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the exact image of his Father. We have a goal. We have an intended goal. And so in this loving union where we're walking constantly, we're walking consistently, something is happening on the inside. The Holy Spirit is convicting us, not condemning us, but convicting us. And we go, I surrender. Okay. I don't want to surrender, but I'm going to surrender. And so then that allows the Holy Spirit to begin to make that change that's necessary in our heart. Um, It's in this loving union that we recognize that God is actually remaking us. He's remaking us, and we're no longer who we used to be. See, so often we allow ourselves to be identified, even after we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we allow ourselves to be identified by our past. And... We have to recognize that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, when we truly believe, when by faith we accept, Scripture clearly tells us that that's all gone. How many of you like a do-over? 
It's the ultimate do-over. God says, that's all gone, and now you have, you, you ha- you have a new family. You, you live in a new kingdom. Everything about you is new. In fact, in um, for 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. We have to stop believing the false accusations about ourselves. The truth of the matter is, in relationship with Jesus Christ, I am a new creation. God says that he washes our sin away, that he removes them as far as the east is from the west. It says that he actually remembers them no more. It's not that he can't, it's that he chooses not to. If he chooses not to, why do we choose to remember them? Why do we allow ourselves to be identified by guilt and shame from the past? Do you, do you know the difference between guilt and shame? Just a quick lesson. Guilt is, um, hopefully none of you did this, but if you did something really bad last night, and when you woke up this morning you go, I did something really bad last night. And then you take that to God and you ask him, to, you repent. Shame, in, on the other hand, is when you wake up this morning and you did something bad last night and you go, I am a terrible person. I am a really bad person. That means that we begin to identify or we choose to identify ourselves with, with shame. Shame becomes very deceptive and it causes us not to see ourselves as God sees us. And God, when God looks at us, he looks at us through Jesus Christ. So we have to, we have to move into a heart mentality that says, I am not that person anymore. I have taken care of business through Jesus Christ. I have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I have been set free. I am no longer a sinner. Listen, I am a saint. I'm a saint of God. Amen. It doesn't mean that your life is perfect. It just means that you're clean through Jesus Christ. We continually have someone that we can go to. Remember last week he said his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. God continues to change us. So we replace our old identity with his new identity. It's in this loving reunion... I've been doing this all morning. I can't say loving union. I've been saying loving reunion. So if I say reunion, you know what I mean, okay? Uh, It's in this loving union that we find ourselves as we're walking constantly, as we're walking consistently with God, that we find ourselves uh, beginning to die to our own selfishness. We, we, we find ourselves dying to our greed, dying to our lust, dying to our temptation. Uh, we, we die to our desire to be our own God. And instead, we, uh, we, we replace our way with a desire to do things God's way. You know, this was Adam and Eve's problem. You read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Uh, and through the deception... They believed that not only could they become like God, but they could be their own God, that they could make the choices of their life. In other words, they made a choice not to live in the lordship of the Father. And so often we find ourselves trying to do the same thing. Listen, did it work out for Adam and Eve? No, No, it didn't. It didn't work out very good at all. And as a result, it hasn't worked out very good for us. Because of them, and when we try to do it, it never works out good for us. Uh, we have to, uh, in fact, we do, we find ourselves dying to that. We replace our desire with the desire to do things God's way. In this loving re, uh, union, we recognize how powerful God is and how weak we are. 
how powerful God is and how weak we are. And in doing so, we replace our self-confident pride with a faith, with trust that makes way for God's grace. Uh, our, our pride fights against God. Our pride uh, opposes God. Our pride puts us in first place and it puts God below. But, but when, we, when, we, when we die to self, when, when we die to be our own God, when, when, we, when we find ourselves making these changes, suddenly um, God, when we die to our pride, God is able to be placed in his rightful place. He's, he's placed first. Um, humility makes way for the fullness of God's grace. James 4, 6 says, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives favor to the humble. Uh, one of my favorite passages of scripture, and I think it applies here, is um, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. So, uh, when we want to do things our own way, when we want to be our own God, we, we like to call the shots. Uh, so we put trust in ourselves rather than trust or faith in God. Um, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Um, I'd like to illustrate this passage this way. When you came into church this morning and you sat in your seat, what did you do? You sat down. You trusted the chair that you were in, right? You didn't do this. This would be really uncomfortable if you were having to do this right now, wouldn't it? This says, I'm not really sure if this chair will hold me up. So I'm going to help it out. I'm going to lean on my own weight rather than the weight of this chair. No, you didn't do that, did you? You said... You didn't even think about it. You said, this is what I'm going to do. How often in our walk with God, in our relationship with Jesus, how often do we do this? This is leaning into your own understanding. This is trying to be your own God. And this is what God is calling us to. Put the full weight of your trust on me. Rest in me. I've got you covered. Come to me. I'll take care of you. He's already provided it all. We can rest in Him. It's the best choice that we can make. It all comes together in this loving union. In fact, in this loving uh, union, all these things begin to converge together. And what happens is we replace the it's all about me attitude with it's all about God. And that's really the point that we need to come to. I think the perfect example is that uh, Jesus, on the night before he was crucified, was in the garden and he, and he prayed. And as he prayed, he said, Father, if there's any way you can take this, this crucifixion, if you could take this cup from me, that would be great. But he didn't stop there, did he? He said, no, that's my will, Father, but not my will, but your will be done. That, that's the ultimate sacrifice. That, that, that's, 
That's what lordship looks like. Not my will, but your will be done. Because we have complete faith and trust that God knows what's best. We can rest in this. He's got it worked out and he's going to work it out for our good. I think the ultimate example of this is found in Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 5, it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of of Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, listen, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death. As we walk in loving union with God, as we walk humbly with God, That's what it looks like, that we become uh, sacrificial in our life, that we, we give ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we let him have his complete way. As I as I conclude this morning, I just want to ask you, how's your walk? What's what's your walk look like? Is it consistent? Is it constant? Or are you kind of on the 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 bungee walk plan? You, You know what that is? When a hard time comes, you bungee into God. And when it's over, you bungee back out. Or maybe it's Sunday morning comes and you bungee into a spiritual life because you come to church. And then you bungee back out when it's over. And Monday comes and you're kind of in a different realm. God's calling us to constancy. He's calling us to consistency. He's calling us to loving union with Him. And... That's not always easy, to be really honest, because it takes intentional effort. But most of all, it, 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 it requires complete faith and trust and allowing the Holy Spirit to empower us to live that way. And I can tell you that when we submit to that, when we commit to that lifestyle, everything starts to work out. It's not perfect, but it works out because we're giving into God's will in our life. I want you to just think about that throughout the week. What is your walk like? What if, what, if we, what if we put as much emphasis in our walk as we did of making we got sure we got our 10,000 steps every day? Ouch. God's calling us to a constant, consistent lifestyle. And he's given us everything we need to walk in that lifestyle. That's the great story. Would you bow your heads? Father, we love you. I thank you that we have a father who desires relationship with us. Not a part-time relationship, but a full-time relationship, constant and consistent. So with that, Father, today, I begin with me and I say, help me be willing every day to open up my heart in such a way that you have full access to my life so that your will can be worked out in every area of my life. I thank you that you're not a God of condemnation, but you do... You do reveal to us the way that we are to walk. And so I pray that you would empower me, but not only me, but I pray this same prayer for every person in this room, that we would be a people that we are committed to loving union with you through Jesus Christ, that we are consistent, that we are constant in our walk, that we are experiencing uh, growth and maturity, becoming like you through uh, Jesus Christ. 
Father God, I pray that you work that in us every day. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.